Thank you for being here. As I mentioned earlier, we are in the middle of a message series called The Truth About Church. And in this series, we are talking about, you guessed it, church. And the entire point of this series is for us as one local church to get better at being a local church. That's what we're working toward here. Last week, we finally uh, talked about our vision as a church, our vision statement. And our vision statement is engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. This is who we are as a church, engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. We believe in God. Specifically, we believe in the God of the Bible, and we believe that this God is on a mission, and his mission is a rescue mission to redeem, to save those who are far from him, those who are lost. And we exist as a local church to spread the message of salvation, to incarnate the gospel, to share the gospel in word and indeed with our neighbors, to make disciples all toward that goal of presenting the opportunity for our neighbors to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. We are, as one local church, engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. More specifically, we're planted right here in this ridley Interborough area, but there are 60,000 people. We have 60,000 neighbors. That's a lot of people, 60,000 neighbors, and so many of them don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. That's where we come in, to make Jesus known to them, to introduce our neighbors to Jesus Christ, the reality of who Jesus was and is as revealed in Scripture to us. That's, this is who we are as a church. We can get more specific than that. And you think about the people in your life who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Well, we're here for them. We exist for their sake. So I mentioned last week that church is not a club for Christians, right? That's not what we are. Okay, let's get together and we'll be a club for Christians and we'll do Christian-y stuff that Christians like. Yeah, all right. No, that's not who we are. Church is not a club at all. But if we were a club, we would be the only club that exists for the sake of our non members, right? And so to be a part of a church like this, for those of us who are Christians, to be a part of a church like this means that we need to be able to embrace messiness, and also we must be willing to sacrifice what we want, to sacrifice our desires in order to make the gospel more readily available to those who don't already know Jesus as their Savior. This is who we are as a church. We are engaging in the mission of God, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the lost. I don't know if you have realized it, uh, but we are in election season. Have you noticed this? Yes? Have you seen the commercials on TV? Are you getting the flyers in your mail? Are you getting text messages? Why am I getting text messages about our candidates? Wow, where did that come from? I didn't sign up for that. We are in, in election season right now, and there are um, at least a couple things that I can't stand about election season. Uh, one is the negative ads. Give me a break with the negative ads. Goodness gracious, just make your, a case for yourself as a candidate without tearing somebody else down. I can't stand this whole thing. I feel like that's all I'm seeing are negative ads. The other thing that I'm not a fan of during election season is the overt and shameless pandering. The pandering. I'm going to pick a group of people and just appeal to them. I'm going to pick a group of people and just tell them what they want to hear. And sometimes it's so stinking obvious, it makes me want to puke. Come on, man. You're just pandering. It's obvious. We know this. This whole pandering thing. There's a saying. Let me see if I can get this right. In a democracy, if you want to run for office, you can't afford to be honest because you need the votes. Have you heard that? You can't afford to be honest because you need the votes. How about this saying? If you want to help people, tell them the truth. If you want to help yourself, tell them what they want to hear. 
If you want to help people, you tell them the truth, even if that truth is difficult. If you want to help yourself, you just tell people what they want to hear, and that's what we see so often in our democracy. We see politicians just pick a group of people, pick a party, pick a, a group of, of individuals, and just pander to them, tell them what they want to hear. It's a real temptation. So if you're thinking about running for office, anybody thinking about it? You don't have to tell me. If you're thinking about running for office, just keep this in mind. It's a real temptation to pander to a specific audience. In this series, The Truth About Church, I'm trying to show you some of what goes on behind the scenes in church life, and I will tell you that this, this temptation to pander, it also exists among people like me. Pastors, church planters, are so often tempted to just pick a group of people and tell them what they want to hear, pander to a specific audience. About eight and a half, nine years ago, I had the opportunity to meet with a, uh, a senior pastor. He was new at being a senior pastor, so I was new at being a senior pastor. He was new. Um, we were planning a church. He was moving into a church that had been around for a long, long time. And we sat down. Uh, we had lunch, and uh, we had a really great conversation. And it's always great to meet somebody um, who's a pastor, who's, who's in ministry, who's just got like a, a similar passion, a similar vision. And this pastor that I was speaking to, he really did get this whole concept of engaging in the mission of God. He really did get this whole thing about the church, like we're here for the sake of people who don't already know Jesus as their Savior. We're here for the lost. And so he had a lot of passion, just a, a great theology, sound doctrine, wanted to go into this church and, and just make an impact, make a difference. But he had a struggle that, that I didn't have to deal with. See, he was moving into a church that had been around for a long time, whereas we were starting from zero, starting at the ground level here. And so he had the challenge of going into a congregation and trying to, trying to move that congregation in the right direction. In this church, they have what you might call the old guard, right? So many churches in our area that have been around for a long time have the old guard, the people who have been there forever, they've been going to this church for decades, and so here's this pastor walking in, and he's new, and these other people have been around for decades and decades and decades, and they like things done a certain way, and they like to be preached at a certain way, and they like a certain kind of programming, a certain kind of music, and so here he is, this pastor's got all this big vision for reaching the lost, but he's got this old guard of Christians who want things done in a certain way. And so for me, being you know, young, at being a, you know, new, I should say, at being a pastor, I thought, well, this is a simple problem to solve. You just talk to the old guard, and you gently correct. You gently correct. You gently move them in the right direction, right? How hard could it be? Well, pretty hard, apparently. He expressed, he's like, listen, I, I, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid to do that because these are the people that support the church. These are the people that give. I was a little shocked by that honesty, but also very appreciative. I mean, here's this pastor trying to do something good, but he felt like I've got to pander. I've got to keep the old guard happy. Because they're the ones that give. They're the ones that keep the lights on. They're the ones that keep the bills paid. They're the ones that pay my salary. So I don't want to upset that group of people, right? Wow. So I get that. And I just watch this pastor struggle with that temptation. I want to just tell the old guard what they want to hear, to pacify, to pander, to keep them happy. Similarly, I, uh, I met a missionary and uh, when you're a missionary, you're out there, you're in the mission field, and you really rely on support, on giving, on money from other people. 
And so this missionary, he was receiving support from a number of different sources, but he had a, uh, a major contributor, right, a giver. And this guy that was uh, one of his supporters, a major giver, um, <clears throat> he, was, he was up to no good. This, this giver, this supporter, um, ended up in a situation where he was really compromising the integrity of his marriage, I'll put it that way. And so this missionary became aware of what was going on in, in the life of his sponsor, and he, he said, well, he's got this dilemma now. Do I call this guy out? Do I sit down and have a difficult conversation with this guy, knowing that that might mean the funds will dry up? Or do I just turn a blind eye, keep collecting those support checks, and go about my ministry? So it was a real dilemma. And this missionary decided, no, I'm, I'm going to address this. So he sat down with this guy one-on-one, -on -one, opened up the Bible, said, listen, what you're doing is not wise, it's not right, it's not respectful, it's not with integrity. And they had that tough conversation, and guess what happened? The giving stopped. That supporter walked away and said, if you're going to call me out on this kind of stuff, I'm not writing you any more checks. Okay. I guess that's all there is to it. This, this is a real thing, friends, for the life of ministers and pastors and church planners. That temptation to pander. Well, let me just give in to what these people want, right? I mean, if they're going to support, if they're going to show up on Sunday morning, if they're going to put money in the offering box, let me just tell them what they want to hear, right? It's a real temptation. I've had to face it myself on more than a couple of occasions. Here's a story I've never told. In our first few months as a church, I had someone walk up to me and dangle $100,000 right in front of my face. Here you go. I can write you a check for $100,000. I bet some of you wish I took that $100,000, huh? Right? I mean, take a look at whatever's going on with this wall over here. I don't know what's happening, right? Why is the wall bleeding? What is this? Is this a Halloween decoration? I'm sure $100,000 would fix whatever the problem is there, right? This guy just waved that $100,000 check in front of my face and said, if you want this money, you just have to do things my way. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. This guy, he really didn't care about engaging in the mission of God. He really didn't care about the 60,000 people in this community. And I had to say, thanks, but, but no thanks. Several years later, when we were over at the theater, some, you remember the theater? You guys were over? Yeah. When we were over at the theater, I had um, somebody approach me who was a, uh, he was a recruiter for a denomination. I didn't know denominations had recruiters. Did you know this, right? And he approached me, and he, he took a look at what we're doing as a church. He said, you know, we'd, we'd like to invite you to come under our umbrella to be a part of our denomination. But <laughs> if you're going to do that, you have to meet these certain requirements. And so there was this, this offer of support. Do you know what support means? Yeah, money. There's this offer of support, right? Come under our umbrella and we'll support you, but you've got to fulfill these, these requirements. And I looked at the list of requirements and I said, I, 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 don't, I don't think so. You know, some of the things that were required, especially concerning baptism, I looked at this and I said, this, isn't, this doesn't align with the New Testament. This doesn't align with scripture. And so what do I do, right? Do I play the game? Do I jump through the hoops? Do I tell them what they want to hear and get some support, right? No. Thank you. Thanks. But no thanks. It's a real temptation to pander. One of the things that I love about Jesus and his ministry and his life is that he never panders to anyone. 
He never concerns himself with telling people what they want to hear, try to appeal to a specific group. Now, sometimes people like me, we can make a very big point of highlighting how Jesus never pandered to the religious establishment. He never panders to the, um, the, to the Sanhedrin, to the Pharisees, to the, to the um, Sadducees, to the priests. He never, he never panders to them. But here's what's also true. He never panders to, like, anyone, not just within the religious community, but the irreligious community as well. He never tells people what they want to hear for the sake of gaining their support. In fact, there's an occasion where Jesus uh, multiplies the loaves and fishes. Do you remember that from Sunday school? Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes. Did you learn about that in children's church? Loaves and fishes, and it's a wonderful miracle, and everyone's fed, and that's fantastic. Well, the very next day, the same people show up. You know why they show up to see Jesus? Because they're hungry, right? And so the irreligious community, these people who were very much in need and for the most part were impoverished and, and genuinely hungry, they show up to see Jesus, and they said, hey, remember yesterday's buffet? Let's do that again. Let's make that happen again. And Jesus has to correct them. He says, listen, this is, not, this is not why I'm here. This is not the point. I mean, you're here because you want to be fed, and I'm here to give you something bigger than just bread and fish. And Jesus tries to explain, I'm here to give you me. I am the sacrifice. My flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Wow. You know what happened? All those hungry people, they left. Jesus did not give them what they wanted. And so they left, and only the 12 disciples were remaining. So well, we're not going anywhere. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. So Jesus did not pander to the religious community. He did not pander to the irreligious community. He pandered to no one. But I have to admit, I have wondered. I have wondered about this approach that Jesus has taken. Because what we see is, you know, he, he starts his ministry, his public ministry at age 30. And he starts by going out to John the Baptist. And so he's baptized by John the Baptist. He aligns himself with John's message. John's message was that God truly values repentance. Repentance is, is necessary in order to be forgiveness of sins. So Jesus goes out and he's baptized by John, right? And then Jesus goes out and he's tested, he's tempted in the desert for 40 days. And then after that time, he comes back and he begins to recruit disciples and perform miracles and to teach the people. And I just wonder, would it have been such a bad thing to like just swing by the temple, Right? Before you really get started, just pop on in and maybe make an appointment with the Sanhedrin before you hit the ground running, right? Just to get them in on what you're doing. Not to, not to pander necessarily, but just to keep them in the loop, right? Just roll into Jerusalem, request a meeting with the high priest, maybe the whole Sanhedrin, just say, hey, you know, my name is Jesus, and, and I'm the Messiah that y'all have been waiting for, and, um, you know, God is my dad, and I'm also God. It's really complicated. If I could just meet with the Sanhedrin, I'll prove all this to them. Could we just set something up? Like, why not? Why not let them in on what he was about? I've wondered that. And I don't know, but I think, I, I think the reason why Jesus doesn't do that is because it never would have been enough, right? If he shows up and before he begins his ministry, try to prove himself to the religious establishment, would there, would there be enough that he could do to prove that he really was the Son of God? I mean, how many hoops would they make him jump through? Would there ever be an end to the hoops that he would have to jump through just to prove himself? And that's really the problem with pandering. You never know. Okay, well, I'm going to do this to just satisfy their wants. Oh, wait, now there's something more. Now there's, You just end up in this endless cycle of, of pandering, and then that leads to more expectations, which leads to more pandering, and it just it never, it never ends. And so maybe that's why Jesus just skipped all that and went right to work. <laughs> wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. I'm just going to get to work and fulfill, fulfill the mission. 
About 12 years ago, I heard a teaching on the passage that's in your bulletin, if you want to take a look at it. It's from John chapter 1. John, in his biography of Jesus, he does not give us the Christmas story, the nativity story. He jumps in from a different perspective, from a different angle, introduces us to Jesus in this different way. John chapter 1, I'll begin with verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I referenced that a couple weeks ago. He came into the Israelite community, but by and large, the Israelites did not accept him. I mean, after resurrection was a different story. Yet to all who did receive him, verse 12, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, okay, so this is John's take on the Christmas story, right? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word of God became incarnate. The Word of God became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And John means that quite literally. John was there with two other disciples, and they saw Jesus transformed. There was this, this event that we call the transfiguration, where Jesus appears in His full glory to three of the disciples. And John was there and saw for himself. He was an eyewitness to the glory of Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so about 12 years ago, I heard this sermon, and we looked at this passage, and I'm like, it's John chapter 1. I know John chapter 1. Come on, I know John chapter 1. But the preacher made a point of really highlighting that, that phrase there, that Jesus was filled with both grace, both grace and truth. Grace and truth, and just how big that is for someone, for Jesus, for the Messiah, the Son of God, to be filled with not one or the other but both, to be filled with grace and truth. And in the time of Jesus, as it is now, there's this misconception about grace and truth, and some people feel like these things can't coexist, but they absolutely can, and they absolutely must. Grace and truth. You know what grace is? Grace is understanding. Grace is compassion. Grace is seeing someone who is living so far from God, and yet understanding and relating, and not feeling holier than thou. Grace is, is watching someone, and maybe that someone is a Christian, maybe that someone is not, but that someone is living outside of God's boundaries. And instead of ridicule, instead of lifting up your nose and walking away, is, is engaging with that person. Grace is compassion. Grace is understanding. Grace is not being offended by someone else's sin someone else's foolish choices. That's such a problem for so many of us Christians as we find ourselves, for some reason, feeling offended when we see somebody else sin, especially somebody that's far from God, somebody who's not claiming to be a Christian, someone who doesn't live by Christian values. So often we Christians see a person like that sinning and we think, how could they? Are you kidding me? Sinning is what human beings do. Grace is not being offended when we witness people live outside of God's boundaries, when we see people living far from God. Grace is not taking it personally when someone sins, when someone defies God's will or God's way. It's not taking it personally. Now, sometimes that's very difficult for us Christians to do is not take it personally, especially when that person has wronged us. I'm not supposed to be offended by this. You've wronged me. I'm not supposed to take this personally, but you've wronged me. No, no, no. Grace is not being offended, and grace is not taking it personally. 
my goodness, there is this strange phenomenon in Christianity. I've seen it. Maybe you've seen it too. Where a Christian person gets all personally offended over somebody's sin. It's like, that sin has nothing to do with you. Why are you taking it personally? Why are you so outraged and offended, right? How dare you? Oh, what do they do against you? This kind of pearl-clutching Christianity. You know what I mean by that? Oh, I can't believe someone's sinning. You can't? Have you been around human beings? It's what we do. Not to be surprised when people sin. Not to be offended. Not to take it personally, but to have compassion and understanding. That's grace. And guess what? My Savior, my Lord, the Jesus that I follow was filled with grace. And then there's truth. What is truth? Well, truth is the fact that there is such a thing as right and wrong. That there is such a thing as wisdom and folly or foolishness. Truth is the fact that there is such a thing as sin. Now, when we talk about sin as a church so often, I I tell you, God sets these boundaries around us, right? God loves us so much that he gives us these boundaries to live within. He says, live within these boundaries. You should do what I'm telling you to do in here, but don't step outside those boundaries. If you do, you're going to end up hurting yourself and other people. That's sin, to step outside of God's boundaries. And the truth is there is such a thing as sin. Not all behaviors are equally valid. Not all choices are equally valid. There is such a thing as truth, as right and wrong, wisdom, folly. Sin exists. That's truth. That's truth. And and my Jesus, my Savior, was filled with truth, absolutely filled with it. He was filled with grace and with truth. And let me tell you this. Read the Gospels for yourself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You will never see Jesus compromise grace for the sake of truth, and you will never see him compromise truth for the sake of grace. He was filled with both. And do you know why he was filled with both? Because he wasn't concerned with pandering to anyone. He wasn't concerned with trying to get people to like him or trying to get people to follow him. No, he wasn't concerned with any of that. Jesus was filled with love. And if you're really going to love people, if you're really going to love them, you need both grace and truth. That's the formula. You need both grace and truth. And truth, if you're going to love other people, Jesus truly loves us. So we had to be filled with both grace and truth, with both of these things. One of the best examples that I could think of in the life of Jesus where we see this on display is this occasion, perhaps you're familiar with it, where a woman who was caught in the act of adultery is brought before Jesus And the religious establishment, they say to Jesus, you know, here's what this woman has done. Side note, doesn't it take two people to commit adultery? Just like, if I'm writing the math correctly, it should be two people there. Anyway, they just brought the woman out. And they say, well, Jesus, the the law of Moses commands that we stone someone like this. What do you say? Of course, they were trying to trap Jesus. And so Jesus bends down and he begins writing in the sand. And we don't know what he was writing. It drives me a little bit crazy. Couldn't you tell us what he was writing there, right? Some people think he was listing all the sins that everyone had committed. Some people think he was writing down the Ten Commandments. I don't know what he was writing. He's writing in the sand. So he doesn't answer their question. Just starts writing in the sand. Finally, he straightens up. He says, okay, whoever is sinless among you, throw the first stone. 
they drop their stones, and they walk away. In that moment, the members of that religious establishment, the members of the Sanhedrin, in that moment, what they saw in Jesus was grace. And they walked away from that point. And then Jesus meets with this woman. He says, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? He said, they've gone, sir. She says, then neither do I condemn you. That's grace. I'm not condemning you either. That's grace. And then he follows up by saying, now go and leave your life of sin. That's truth. That's truth. Just because Jesus was filled with grace doesn't mean he compromised truth. No, he's saying, no, what you are doing. I'm not pretending that what you're doing isn't wrong because it is wrong. And it is dangerous. And it is foolish. And it is sin. So leave your life of sin. Jesus was filled with both grace and truth. And here's a fun fact. We don't know what happened to the woman after that point in time. Did she walk away from that encounter saying, wow, okay, i got to get my life together. i got to stop sinning. Or did she walk away saying, who's this Jesus guy? Who does he think he is telling me how to live, right? We don't know. I hope that this experience inspired her to live within God's boundaries, but we just, we just don't know. But if you think about this encounter from the perspective of one of those Pharisees who brought the woman out to Jesus, if you think of it from that perspective, they only saw the grace end of the conversation. They all left before Jesus got to the truth, right? So from their perspective, ah, oh, this guy, he's not even calling this woman. No, no, they missed, they missed the truth, but the truth, the truth part was still there. They just, they just missed it. See, Jesus was filled with both grace and with truth. There is this situation that we Christians end up in where we feel a bit overwhelmed. Okay, Jesus was filled with grace and truth, and we got to do the same thing. We have to be filled with grace and truth if we're going to love people. And so sometimes we start to think about this whole grace and truth situation as a balancing act. And I get that. <clears throat> I get that. I have to have enough grace, and I have to have enough truth, so we got to keep these things balanced. Okay, that's one way to think about it. I don't like thinking about it that way because it makes me nervous. It gives me anxiety, right? Think of the guy on the tightrope, and he's walking, he's got that, that thing. You've seen tightrope walkers, right? What is this? Is it a stick, a bar, something? They've got the stick, right? They're trying to balance themselves, and they go, we've got to have enough truth over here and enough grace, and if I don't, I'm going to fall. Ah, I, don't like, I don't like that. I don't want to live out my Christianity walking like this. Are you kidding me? I don't think of it that way. No, that's not, 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 not a balancing act. It's to be filled with both. To be filled, not balanced, to be filled with grace and to be filled with truth. Let me tell you, there's no such thing, friends, as too much truth. There's no such thing. Well, I've, I've given too much truth. No, no, no. There's no such thing as too much truth. But there is such a thing as not enough grace. Same way, there's no such thing as too much grace. Well, I'm being too gracious in this situation. No, are you kidding me? When you mess up, when you fail, when you do something foolish, when you sin, don't you want grace, right? There's no such thing as too much grace, but there is such a thing as not enough truth. So let me say this for the sake of the Christians who have felt that kind of anxiety, like I've got to be filled with both grace and truth. I've got to meet people where they are, and you have to correct them if they're doing something that's foolish, and I have to protect them. Oh, this anxiety thing. Let me just speak this into your lives, right? Don't think in every single interaction you have with someone, don't think that you have to perfectly encapsulate both of those things in every single interaction, okay? We at Hope Community Church, we believe that real ministry is done in the context of relationship. 
And so if you have some kind of isolated conversation with someone, some kind of hit-and-run conversation, you feel all that pressure, oh, I have to bring the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth, and then there's one interaction. Oh, man, that's too much. That's too much. But if you're actually in relationship with someone, that fullness of grace and the fullness of truth is revealed over time, right? Don't put that pressure on yourself. I've got to do it all in this conversation. Don't do that. You're allowed to have conversations that really focus more on the grace, and you're allowed to have other conversations that focus more on the truth. And on a long enough timeline, it's our goal to reveal both the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. This is who we are as a church. We are a grace and truth church. And as the pastor of this church, I'm not willing to compromise grace for the sake of truth, nor am I willing to compromise truth for the sake of grace, because it's not necessary. We need the fullness of both grace and truth if we are going to love people. Isn't that what we've been called to do, is to love? To love people. And so we, as a church, we are going to be filled with both grace and truth for the sake of loving other people. Now, let me give you a little glimpse into the future how this works. When we as a church, when we are extending grace, there are going to be times when we are extending grace and we get accused from Christians, we get accused from the religious community of condoning sin. Like we're not condoning sin just because we're being gracious. I mean, that's an ugly assumption. Why would you make that assumption, people? You know, the truthers are going to tell us, you're, you're condoning sin. No, 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 no. To extend grace does not mean that we are condoning sin. If we disregard the truth, okay, well, that's a different story. But to extend grace, that doesn't mean we are condoning sin. And so we have to be prepared for that accusation. It's baseless. It's baseless. Oh, you're condoning sin. No, we're not. We're just extending grace. Extending grace does not mean that we are condoning sin. It just means that we are extending grace as, as Jesus did. When we extend grace, we might be accused of being unbiblical. Oh, man. Christians, knock it off. Stop throwing that term around, right? But just brace yourself. Brace yourself, Christians, because when we extend grace, other Christians are going to tear us down and say, you're being unbiblical. You know what we're going to do? We're going to say, show me. We're going to open up the Bible and say, show me. What are we doing that's unbiblical? Show me. This is not a hypothetical situation, my friends. I've been in this, right? You're being unbiblical, Pastor. I've got a Bible right here. Show me. <laughs> Show me what we're doing. Just brace yourself for this. When we extend grace, we will be accused. We were on that risk of being accused of condoning sin, which we're not. We will be accused of being unbiblical, which we're not. So just brace yourself for that. Don't worry about what they say. Be filled with grace anyway. I mean, that's, that's what they accused Jesus of being, unbiblical, basically. They accused him of blasphemy. You're telling lies about God just because he was gracious. He wasn't. So just embrace, your, embrace it, right? You're going to receive that feedback, that criticism. Let's be gracious anyway, yeah? Let's be gracious anyway. We're not going to let them stop us. Let's be gracious, yes? Who's with me? One, two, three. Three of you are with me. Let's be gracious, right? Don't you want grace when you mess up? Let's give it all the way, all the way. And if we're going to be criticized for it, so be it. Let's be gracious anyway. And let's be filled with truth. Let's be filled with truth. Let's not ever compromise truth. And you know what's going to happen when we're filled with truth? You know what's going to happen when we extend that truth? We are going to be accused of being judgmental. You're being judgmental. 
You're trying to tell people what they're doing is wrong. Well, guess what? Sometimes what people do is wrong, right? And that's not being judgmental to correct someone, to guide someone, to say, look at how, look at the path that you're on and where it's leading and look what God has to say about it. That's not being judgmental. That's being helpful, right? Are you tired of that? I'm so tired of being called judgmental. What? For why? Because I don't think every decision that everybody makes is a good decision. What is this, right? No. So we're going to be filled with truth. And when they call us judgmental, guess what? That's a baseless accusation. They're wrong. We're going to be filled with truth anyway. They might call us unloving when we extend truth. Are you kidding me? Do you know how much love and courage is required to extend truth, to have those conversations? Where we can just turn a blind eye, well, I'm not going to have that tough conversation. I'm not going to attempt to correct. I'm just going to turn a blind eye. Do you know how much love is required to extend a difficult truth? Not an easy truth, right? Not like, hey, you're really good looking. That's, that's an easy truth to share. I'm talking about the tough truth, right? That takes a lot of love and a lot of courage. And they're going to call us unloving. And they're going to call us judgmental. Let them. <laughs> let them. We're not going to compromise on the truth. We're going to let those baseless accusations just fly right over our heads. There are lots of different ways to think about who we are as a church. We're independent, yes. We're non-denominational, yes. But perhaps the best way to think of Hope Community Church is that we are a grace and truth church. And the reason we are a grace and truth church is because our 60,000 neighbors, they need a grace and truth church. We can't love the community of people that we have been called to love if we are not filled with both grace and truth. Let's pray on that. Jesus, we thank you for being filled with both grace and truth. And Jesus, we believe that you have created us and called us to to live out grace and truth, to express the fullness of both grace and truth to those we encounter. And Father, there is this, this temptation that we feel, and those of us who are Christians, those of us who are in ministry, sometimes we feel like we need to pander, sometimes we feel like we want to tell people just what they want to hear. We want to be liked, God. We don't want to have those tough conversations. We don't want to be judged. Father God, I pray that you would free us from all of that, free us from those fears. Let us live into what it means to be a people that are truly loving one another. By the power of your Holy Spirit, let us all be filled with your grace and your truth. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.